0: You have to look at this from both angles. Now, if you did nothing, you got this HPV result, you did nothing, within two years, the general population, 90% of the general population is going to see that signal change to negative without doing anything else. So that has to really come into conversation when we're talking about HPV and cervical cancer and all of this. I feel like there's so much fear around this. But actually, in reality, the junk that's in this vaccine actually poses a greater risk of harming you or your child than cervical cancer itself.
1: I'm Cynthia Overgard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist.
2: And I'm Tresha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth.
0: Who am I? Uh, I was just in South Africa, interestingly, and I was with these uh, a group of birth workers in the United States uh, and we were sitting with indigenous midwives really kind of in ceremony and community with them. And uh, when they ask, who are you? Us Westerners like to give our name, our title, our credentials, our whatever favorite color where we grew up. And when they ask that they they're really trying to ask like, who are you? How do you show up in the world? So I'm a very conscious father. I'm a person who cares deeply about my work. Also did a fellowship year in end of life care and palliative care, which is really complicated illness and complicated decision making. I brought that into my birth work and now I do home birth. I do a functional women's health care. I do quite a bit of other stuff in a in in a toolkit that is far broader than just pharmaceuticals and surgery nowadays. So I think today we're gonna talk about this the illusion of the cervical cancer vaccine and this this mystified, overly mystified cervical cancer screen process and maybe what people can bring into their own lives in order to make sure that these things are not really necessarily um, front and center uh, as, as, uh, you know, with regards to this to worry about in your everyday life.
1: But you do have a name.
0: Oh, it's (laughs) We call you
1: Nathan Riley.
0: (laughs) Some people call me Nathan Riley. Some people call me Dr. Riley. Other other people call me like a complete a-hole. And uh, no, we haven't that's... heard
2: that we haven't heard that one. So Nathan, welcome back to the show. I think this is uh is this time number three or four?
0: Maybe three. Yeah. Three, it's a three. it's an always an honor to come back. Yeah. Three. Yeah. We've already riffed for like an hour because I just like hanging out with you guys. You you kind of get me and I get you and yeah. good to be back.
2: So you have a special interest in the natural treatment for HPV, right? The Mm. human papilloma virus, which is an extremely common um, sexually transmitted infection that uh, both men and women experience. But this is the the thing that when we go for our annual pap smears that we're being screened for, um, I think many women just get their pap smears. They don't really even know why. They hardly know how often they should go anymore because the guidelines are constantly changing.
0: Mm. Um,
2: But one of the biggest... One of the biggest problems I see with it is that, um, and the reason part of the reason the guidelines are always changing is because we are over treating
0: mm-hmm. the
2: cervix with these procedures that are yeah. potentially causing scar tissue and damage and things that may impact a woman's ability to give birth easily. Um, so for young women, which is when HPV is really common and commonly found. Most of the time, these infections will resolve without traumatic treatment. And so I would love to have you talk to us a little bit about your experience with this and what women can do to help reverse HPV naturally um, and or when they really do need to, to to be treated. Because obviously, if it is a, a high-risk strain, the risk of cervical cancer is high, and that's very serious.
0: Yeah. Well, I think if, for those out there who are familiar with some of this, I think a little bit about what I'm gonna say is gonna be very confronting. But I want I want to invite people to just lean into the possibility that maybe we can reframe this whole conversation a little bit to uh to a um in order for you to feel empowered around this, as opposed to the, you know, the way that many of my colleagues might counsel you, which is like you've got this HPV. If we don't do something here, you're gonna die of cervical cancer. Like that's really like that fear actually doesn't serve us in almost any regard, especially in childbirth, especially in things like this. So as you mentioned, um, the incidence of this, which is um, how many people are living with, I'm sorry, the prevalence of this, how many people are living with HPV, which is just a swab that goes in the cervical canal and around the cervix it comes back positive. It has come back positive for about 80 million people as of right now. That's men and women. And every year it's about 14 million more people are diagnosed. So the issue here is that based on our, like it's the American Society for Kolposki and I, Cervical Pathology, I believe, ASCCP, they come up with these guidelines based on, you know, the They feed it into ACOG. They, you know, they are constantly working with this study for gynecologic oncology. Like they're they're trying to come up with a coordinated, protocolized way of managing this positive HPV screen. Okay, so the typical experience for a young woman is after about the age of 21 or so, you're going to go back on routine intervals to the gynecologist. They're going to place you in stirrups. They're going to place in a speculum, one of these cold duck things. And we're going to collect a swab from the cervical canal and the surface of the cervix to look for two things. One, are there abnormal cells there, which is a pap smear? It's a screen. And two, is there a high-risk strain of human papillomavirus present on this swab? And based on the combination of those results, you're going to be asked to come back at varying intervals, as maybe as, as soon as six months, as long as maybe 12 months, in order to have a repeat screen, or we do a painful biopsy, which is called a colposcopic evaluation and biopsy. Without anesthesia, we take a chunk of tissue out of a sexual organ, your cervix. And then based on those results, you may find yourself within a couple months or so um, facing an opportunity to have something called a LEAP procedure or an otherwise excisional procedure where we remove a piece of the cervix in hopes of fixing the problem. Now, the issue here is what is happening from the time that you get that abnormal screen to the repeat in the future? And that's where I found myself to be very underwhelmed with the education and the counseling I was providing. As if something's going to change six months later when we haven't given you any tools you know, to, to empower yourself around getting whatever is going on upstream that is causing this immune dysregulation, which is the persistent HPV or even these abnormal cells appearing on the cervix. So this is a big, giant void in the general woman's experience going to her OBGYN in pregnancy, in her routine well-woman care, where we're not providing enough tools. And now I've provide, I've, I've created a new program that is all around that because, uh, frankly, I'd rather teach you things that are able to help you, you know, make you better and to understand some of these principles as opposed to just saying, leave it to me. I would love for you to come back in, and then we'll just lop that off, and, and it'll be taken care of. Because these are not solutions; we don't solve anything by lopping off a sexual organ. We get rid of the signal. It's like putting the turning the light off in your car dashboard, without ever getting to the root issue of why that light was turned on in the first place. So we'll 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 start there. <laughs> hey
3: there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code down birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy.
2: Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared any time during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, sooth dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed, a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal Head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. So HPV is just another virus that we contract in the body, like any virus that we come across. And we obviously can Um, suppress the activity of viruses by things that we do or don't do in our lifestyle. And we can exacerbate the activity of viruses by our lifestyle, diet, nutrition, all that stuff as well. So if a young woman or any woman at any stage, uh, but especially young women, because they seem to be the ones that are most subject to these maybe too aggressive and unnecessary procedures has a pap smear Test positive for HPV, which at at least 80% of people have been exposed to this.
0: Yeah. Um, it's probably upwards know. of a hundred percent, honestly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and about half of those cases are high risk strains.
0: At so, least half. Yeah. At least half. Yeah.
2: So she gets test positive, has maybe some abnormal, there's varying degrees of the abnormal cell results that could come back. The Atypical or the low grade variety or the high grade variety. She has no idea what to do with this information. And she's told to have a colposcopy, as you said, mm-hmm. and maybe have some of her cervix removed. Tell us what you would do instead.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the, the sort of, um, The solutions that are offered, I think, by people like us, you know, you're a CNM, I'm an OB, we've got nurse practitioners, we've got family practitioners, we've got a lot of different people that are doing these screens. But what I think is lacking is is, um, really insight into, you know, when we talk about informed consent in childbirth, what are the risks, benefits, and alternatives to that therapy? Or if I don't do the therapy, what are the risks, benefits, and alternatives, right? So you have to look at this from both angles. Now, if you did nothing, you got this HPV result. You did nothing within 2 years, the general population, 90% of the general population is going to see that signal change to negative without doing anything else. The younger you are, the more likely that is to happen. But even if you go in for that colposcopic biopsy and they collect a a, a tissue sample, right? the way that we stratify that is cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, one, two, or three. And the next step from that is like carcinoma in situ. And then the next step from that is full-blown invasive cancer. So if you were to get one of those sin results, CIN1, CIN2, or three, the, the risk of those progressing needs to be weighed against the risk of those regressing if nothing is done. And then based on the law of averages, we have to then ask, what can I do as an individual in order to ensure that I'm going to fall below the average or above the average if I don't do those things. And that's where I think a lot of the lifestyle modification, a lot of these modifiable risk factors can I think be very, very helpful if we were just offering some basic lifestyle things that can increase the likelihood that your SIN 3, let's say, will regress. And the the baseline risk, by the way, is 50-50. So even at SIN 3, you have a 50% chance of that regressing completely by itself.
2: How, how often do you think women are told that? Never. Because I don't think any woman who gets a SYN3 on a um, colposcopy or biopsy is going to do nothing. Yeah.
0: What
1: is SYN1, 2, and 3 again?
0: So this would be, so when we screen, a pap smear might say you have some abnormal cells. They might be low risk. They might be high risk. We're not totally sure. In order oh. to confirm, we need to get a full tissue sample. And then based on that, the pathologist is going to look at it under a microscope and they're going to say, okay, we're not seeing any neoplasia, which is abnormal cells, or we're seeing just SYN1. That's like just the surface layer, right? Like just a couple. And then SYN2 is, hey, we've got now maybe full thickness. SYN3 is like, it is the whole thickness and we might be looking at it breaking through the basement membrane. Like, like it's, it's going to start growing into a tumor after that.
1: Okay, so it's a stages thing. I understand, okay.
0: right? And this was all thought to result due to an inflammatory process that's reflected in this HPV swab, right? So what's very interesting here is that from the time that you're initially exposed to HPV until you develop sin two, you know, somewhere in the middle there can take months to years, and then to go from sin two to invasive cancer, we're talking decades, decades. And this is actually, I'm not like some sort of wizard with special data that I'm like, they didn't look at it right. Like ACOG actually says this in their cervical cancer screening practice advisory. It will take decades, but hey, let's have you come back in a year and we're going to lop off your cervix without giving you any tools to even increase the likelihood of it regressing on its own or even slowing the progression through more natural kind of lifestyle means. So um sin three, 50% chance of regressing without doing anything, you may not even be a healthy person. 50% chance of regressing. Sin two, 60% chance of regressing. If you have sin one, you basically just have inflammation in the cervix. And there's about a 5% chance of that progressing to sin two. And then if you're trying to do all the math, if if it if your particular case doesn't fall into regression or progression, it means it hasn't changed. Right. So what can be done in the meantime? That's really, I think. Kind of the brunt of what I do in my practice. it's It's like, okay, so you got this signal. Big deal. What can we do now? Are you just doomed to get cervical cancer and die? No, probably not. In fact, statistically speaking, that's definitely not in your favor. But how can you increase the odds that you're not going to end up going down that path and needing one of these procedures, which, by the way, can shorten the cervix? It can put you at risk of preterm birth. It can put you at risk of cervical scarring and stenosis. So um these are not like um, uh, without risk. I'm- Yeah. Not without risk. Right. So
1: what if a woman is like in her mid forties and isn't going to have any more babies? What about that temptation to just cut it out and be done with it? What's wrong with that? Can it grow back? Are you saying because they didn't identify where it's coming from, it can show up again? Are you saying it can still cause problems in her life, even beyond the childbearing years or that it's ineffective? Tell tell me just let's rule that out first. Like, why is that not? Sure at least a conclusive way to make sure it doesn't evolve into cancer.
0: Well, we know that if you have abnormal PAPs, you've had like a history of a leap procedure at age 25. Let's say at 45, you uh, let's say you you had that leap at 35, right? 45 comes around, you 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 want to get your pesky uterus out of there, right? Get the uterus and cervix out. You No, still no, I have...
1: wasn't thinking that. I thought just like little a little
0: biopsy. Well I mean oh, okay. I I'm I'm embellishing. Well, a biopsy is, you know, a biopsy is one thing. Usually from the result of the biopsy, that's the painful bite. We usually take random biopsies nowadays because we're not training people to do like really thorough colposcopic evaluation like they still do in Europe. But when you get to the LEAP procedure, yeah, we generally act, even without the the hysterectomy, let's just talk about the LEAP, we act as if this organ has no purpose in the body but for making babies. Ah. But- in looking at our data where they do hysterectomies and they keep the cervix versus remove the cervix. That's called a partial where they keep the cervix versus a total hysterectomy. They remove the cervix with it. They have found that women don't express any difference in sexual gratification. The problem is, is that now that women are starting to become, to embrace their sexuality again, we're getting past the original sin and all of these other sort of cultural Um, narratives around women's sexuality, a lot of women are also starting to notice that their cervix is contributing to their overall sexual gratification. So if you were to ask who have even numb cervices, they may not notice any difference after having their cervix removed. But I have a lot of clients that say, I can't orgasm now that I don't have my cervix. And it's not just one person, it's dozens of women who are telling me that, which compels me to consider um, you know the work of like Emily Abbott and some of these internal body workers. You know your cervix is actually far more important than merely holding a baby in or opening to let sperm in whenever the time is right and you know in your cycle. It actually has so many nerve endings. Maybe you're on a path of reawakening your own sexuality, and losing a an important erogenous region within your your vaginal canal might actually have a big impact on you going forward. But if we're just going to treat every single person the same, then you know a robot could do that. That's I not. I thought you
1: amazing. meant like just slicing off a little piece of the cervix, and basically the whole cervix would stay there. But they actually can remove the whole thing for
0: this. We we we. So when you get to the point where we're going to do an excisional procedure, we take a hot wire and we just go shoo. Like, like you're cutting a big roll of bologna and we just chop the top of it off, basically. That's what a LEAP procedure is, a loop electrosurgical excision procedure.
1: So then there's scar tissue. That's what the scar tissue is. Then there's lots is. of scar tissue, oh yeah.
0: So
2: how many stories have you heard of women who have had, um, oh, just a, a minor LEAP procedure for potentially, not even a not even a CIN diagnosis, but like a high grade- an <laughs> Like it just it could, it, it, be it could be positive, could be yeah. low grade, could be high grade, just- these, the procedures on the cervix on, on young women are so common. And then we hear the stories in the birth world of the cervix that wouldn't dilate, that wouldn't go past six centimeters that, you know, had a cervical tear because maybe there was scar tissue that was, you know, inhibiting proper dilation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing that a lot. so,
2: So important for especially young women. And obviously to your point about the sexual, um, enjoyment for older women too, um, to understand that there are alternatives. So can you talk to us about what that would look like? What, like, what should somebody do as far as their diet, lifestyle, um, supplements, whatever it is, if they get this diagnosis and don't want to do a procedure? Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, And they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code DOWNTOBIRTH to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms, do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silveretusa.com and use promo code Birth to save 15%.
0: Yeah, there are, um, so let me start by saying that I actually don't believe that HPV causes cervical cancer. I think that when we pick up on the signal that HPV is there, I actually think that that is telling us that something is going on upstream. And I actually invite women to consider, have you been in, you know, given a gift of a positive signal so that you can start to look upstream as to what is going on? And the reason I say that is that just because we do the leap or we do a hysterectomy or whatever, you're still going to be compelled to continue screening for nearly the rest of your, you know, your life. I mean, up until 65. But even after that, if you had a, you know, a leap or something at age 50, and now you had your hysterectomy at age 65, you're going to be compelled to continue screening thereafter for a number of years because we haven't solved any problem. So if HPV is not the problem, and perhaps it's Reflecting that there's some cells being damaged and whatnot, then we have to consider what is going on upstream that is leading to this immune dysregulation. And when we consider over the course of a, a woman's entire life, right, you're getting lots of antibiotics, you're getting lots of things, you're on birth control for 10 years, all of these things can lead to quite a bit of immune dysregulation. So, what I encourage people to consider is that these virus things are not out to get us. If they were, they outnumber us 150 to one. We cannot continue to be at war with nature, with viruses, because they are not even living things. They are, if anything, they're like messengers. And if your body is unable to integrate this new upgrade to your operating system that you either got through sex, through your environment, through touching a doorknob, it, viruses are they're everywhere. They're like ubiquitous. Every moment of every part of your day, you're going to be exposed. If you if you consider that some people are getting sick when they get exposed to this and some people are not, I think it really, really helps us to consider what can I do in order to integrate the message of this virus. Otherwise, it's a losing battle to consider that we've got viruses everywhere. And as soon as I get exposed, I'm dead in my tracks. Like it just isn't true. So so going back to what you actually said, what I would like people to consider without going into the real, really, really, you know, the depths of lifestyle modification, I would like to you, everybody just to consider that if you're regularly exercising, you're eating nourishing foods, and you're getting adequate sleep, you're probably going to extend your health span and your lifespan by about 50% by just focusing on those three things. And a reason for that is because without adequate sleep and rest and recovery, without a balancing out of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous responses in your body, um, without getting adequate nutrition and adequate B vitamins and all of the other micronutrients and things like beef liver, without doing that, your body is naturally going to fall out of balance. And there's very, very few signals for young women as to when something is off. Two important ones are persistent HPV and and abnormalities in your menstrual cycle when those two things start to pop up i take it immediately as a great we now know that there's something wrong thank goodness that the engine light went on because now we can start to look upstream to figure out how did this fall out of balance in the first place so i'll start there i'll, st- I'll maybe I'll, I'll stop there for a moment i'm i'm curious what you guys think
2: i think it makes Perfect sense. I mean, certainly I hadn't really thought of HPV in that way. I certainly think that way about the menstrual cycle being the yeah. uh, fifth vital sign of yeah. the body. Yeah. Um, but to your point, if you have a virus in the body that is persistent, that your body yeah. hasn't cleared, just like any other virus that we come into contact with, we clear it over time. Some do a much better job at that than others. And that all comes back to. Basically, your immune function, right? So, why would HPV? Why would HPV necessarily be different?
0: Yeah, you know, I've, uh, have you guys had anybody that you've lost to dementia? Have you ever seen that that disease?
1: I've Um, seen it with friends creep along. Yeah,
0: it's like one of the most devastating things I've ever seen. You know, I used to do a lot of palliative and hospice work, and um, frankly, if we could find a cure for that. I think we would really, really be doing well. Right. But just like with cancer, I think we've been looking at the signal in, instead of focusing on what is causing the signal. So in Alzheimer's, a great example is the, um, so we get these like tau bundles, these like little myofascial bundles of tissue that form all over the brain. It's like, it's like um, pathognomonic, as we say, mm-hmm. for Alzheimer's. Like it is the only thing you ever see like like uh, uh it's it's the only condition associated with these little bundles. So naturally our molecular biologists, these brilliant researchers have focused on trying to find targeted therapy to uh to remove those and resolve those bundles, but it hasn't led to any um better outcomes in our in our sort of prognostication or even our mitigation strategies around Alzheimer's. So those tau bundles are to alzheimer's disease what hpv is to cervical cancer there is something going on in the body and this signal is now popping up positive what is the cause is is the problem the hpv or is the problem that somewhere upstream you lack the ability to integrate this because of some immune dysregulate dysregulatory issue which again, back to the number of vaccines you've had, the number of antibiotics you've had, how your your gut is operating. Um, Have you been on birth control? All of these things lead downstream to immune dysregulation. They lead to autoimmune conditions, all of this type of stuff. So I'd rather look upstream and figure out how can we get that signal to turn off without becoming myopically focused on the signal itself.
1: The Western medical world has instilled in all of us the notion that we get zapped Right. we get zapped with cancer. And if you're a family member got zapped with it, you're more likely to get zapped with it. And you get zapped with Alzheimer's and dementia, and you get zapped with HPV. And yeah. the truth is, I mean, even with dementia and Alzheimer's, which is such a big mystery, they are even saying now already, it is preventable. Once someone has it, that's another story, but it's preventable. And sleep, as you already said, sleep is like yeah. one of the major contributors to preventing such a thing. And yeah. there are many others and risk factors. But again, like if there are risk factors associated with any of these things, then we know that we don't just get zapped with it because then the risk factors wouldn't exist.
0: Right. Right. So it's very I, fatalistic. Yeah, it
1: is fatalistic and, it, and it and it absolves people of their own responsibility in their health. Yeah. And then it empowers the medical world to say, well, let us just cut this out of you, get rid of it, do this to you. And we say, please help me save me. So I'm just fascinated by this when I didn't really ever give this any thought with HPV, but I never even considered that I was thinking that way. I never really think about HPV, but what I've heard about it, I'm just like, my thought questions are was like, why did we literally never hear about this before? I know, You know, they, they tried to make it a big thing. Why did we never hear about this? When I was growing up and parents were afraid of their kids having sex, it was for STIs and it was for pregnancy. No one was like, oh God, we hope our child doesn't have sex and end up with cancer. So they totally changed the narrative around this too. So why didn't you tell you remember us
0: when that was remember what like around what year was
1: that? I remember exactly when that was yeah. it was 2007 when governor mm-hmm. when the governor of Texas Rick Perry mm-hmm. was in uh, in cahoots with his former chief of staff a former staffer of his went to work for Merck and pharmaceuticals gave him very tidy sums to the tune of six figures in campaign contributions in exchange for making the HPV vaccine state law. And that was the first time a vaccine became state law. And I was waving red flags to anyone who would listen to me at the time. Let's
0: talk about it. It was,
1: <laughs> it, he just slipped it right in yeah. and it was so unethical. And then of course, the bears database started to skyrocket with adverse reactions because so many more kids were taking this vaccine and had to take this vaccine. And I remember Oprah did an episode on it. Barbara Walters did an episode on it. And it was so frustrating because they weren't talking about efficacy. They weren't talking about how many strains of HPV there are and how little this this can um, address. They weren't talking about side effects or risks. They were saying, well, do you think that this vaccine will promote promiscuity in teenagers if they get it, and then they're no longer worried about yeah. getting cancer? And I thought, yeah. can we distract the public anymore from the actual controversy here? The issue isn't, that it's promoting promiscuity, that that isn't the concern. The issue is why are we doing this and mandating it for kids?
0: Well, you know, first off, I wanted to really quickly just note that despite investing, you know, tens of billions of dollars just in the past decade alone on cancer therapies, um, we're not getting anywhere with cancer treatment. I mean, there's no decrease in the number of cancers. We're getting better at detecting them. We have nothing. We have no ways of getting it to go away entirely. And that's because we've been focused on the sort of gene um that we have these like these these oncogenes, right? Like this is a genetic disease, and your genes are going to lead to cancer unless we can we can, you know, execute you know different functions within your genome. And uh, frankly, that this the the reality that cancer is embedded in our genes and that you fatalistically, you're just going to get this is complete nonsense. They've actually done studies where they take healthy cells and cancerous cells and they switch their nuclei. What do you think happened when a healthy cell receives the cancerous nuclei, so to speak, from the cancer cell? What do you think happens? The
1: cancer can't thrive.
0: Yeah, the, the healthy cell stays healthy despite getting a cancerous, cancerous nucleus, and vice okay. versa for the cancer cell. It still gets still craps out because even though it has a healthy nucleus. So the point here being that the environment around your genes is fully responsible for how those genes are expressed. And even if you have a propensity. Can you get yourself below or above that, that, that you know average line, right? Because nobody's average. Everybody falls above or below the average. So can you get yourself below average for your likelihood to, to develop a dementia or cancer or whatever? That's, that's the whole conversation here. So um, with that in mind, most people feel that they are going to be on the lower end of that bell curve. Of will I die of cervical cancer? Especially parents with young kids. Especially parents with little girls. Is my kid going to die of cervical cancer someday? Well, I sure as heck hope not. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, stand behind the safety of a of a vaccine in order to ensure that. That's how this was marketed in 2003 to 2006. There was a campaign. It was called the B1 less campaign, and it was. Heavily, heavily financed. There were doctors getting paid thousands of dollars to do public talks at community centers, in their clinical practices. Every OBGYN and family practice um, had a poster on the wall and it said, Be one less. And the campaign kind of on the commercials, there was even a Super Bowl ad, if I recall. It was, you know, little kids saying to the camera, Mom, did you know, or Dad, did you know, little boys and little girls who are now going to be offered this as a part of the 72 doses of vaccines that they get from the age you know, day one of life to, to age 18, now this HPV thing, it's either a two or three vaccine series. It is rampant. Like if you don't get it, you're considered a total looney tune. But before 2003, before this period, there was no market for this. So never Merck- Never
1: even heard about it. The never Lake even heard about never it. Never even heard HPV. They never heard those those letters. That's
0: right. That's right. So now suddenly everybody's talking about this. Oprah's talking about this, all of this stuff. Well, where did this come from? Why did we suddenly start talking about this? Well, there was a comp- there's a company, they, they're still the, the company that makes Gardasil, which is Gardasil 9. That's the only FDA approved vaccine against cervical cancer in the United States. Merck, one of these big pharma companies, had just lost millions of dollars, like tens of millions, because of some bad stuff that was happening with the drug they released called Vioxx. And Vioxx Vioxx was an alternative to ibuprofen. And then people started taking it everywhere. It was massively being prescribed. And then people started dropping dead of heart attacks. This is why we don't give NSAIDs now. Any NSAID to anybody with any sort of cardiac, active cardiac disease. Now, as a result of that, Merck had to make up a bunch of money. So they said, what is not, what, what area in the pharmaceutical market isn't being hit? Cervical cancer is very scary. Let's create a whole PR campaign around this and call it the B1 Less campaign.
1: And And we're going to make our money back. And it was 2006 when they launched that campaign. And I remember that they declared, we're now moving into the teen market. That was how they phrased it. The vaccine manufacturers, they basically tapped every possibility of vaccinating the younger children. We're now moving into the teen market. But the word market, if you just feel that. So gross. Yeah.
0: So gross. So of course, if it worked, that would be really, really great. Um, but we'll, we'll, let's wait on that because a lot of people, when they hear the word, this, this V word, (laughs) they, um, and it's not V for vagina, V for vaccine. When they hear this word, they, they immediately start to think about neurologic injuries and they think about all this type of stuff. Well, I was not even compelled to go down this path. Like people think I'm like the quack of quacks, but I was totally on board with vaccines until the whole thing that happened during the past couple of years the Shmovid stuff all starts unfolding. And I'm like, okay, we've got two little girls now. We've got to have this conversation with the pediatricians about vaccines. Or do we have to go to the pediatricians at all? Because that's all that they seem to want to do to our girls. And so I was like, my wife was kind of on the fence and I had to go really, really deep. And what I ended up finding was that most of these vaccines, including Gardasil, has not, they, have, they were never even compared against a true placebo-controlled um, vial, meaning sterile saline. They were never compared against that. Instead, their faux SIBO had a lot of the ingredients that are probably more harmful than the viral particle itself that's in the Gardasil 9 vaccine. Things like amorphous um, aluminum hydroxyphosphate sulfate, which is a proprietary aluminum salt that is extra potent, according to Merck. And we don't really know why it's added. They, they say it can help to stimulate a more robust immune response. But the issue is that when you open up the brains of both Alzheimer's, People living with Alzheimer's and people living with autism, at the end of their life, they have big clumps of aluminum that do not belong in the brain. So the next question is, how did it get into the brain? Well, fortunately, a lot of drug manufacturers add something called polysorbate 80, which is an emulsifying agent you find in salad dressings. And it helps to distribute all of the contents of the vial evenly. So that when you put your needle in there and draw up one cc or whatever and shoot it into the, the arm of somebody who's getting the Gardasil 9, that they're getting all of the, the constituent parts. That's it's great. Called,
1: it's called an emulsifier.
0: An emulsifier.
1: It like it blends it all together into one thing.
0: Exactly. It helps vinegar and oil mix. And it helps re- it get into the brain? It helps, it, it helps things cross the blood-brain barrier. So great, we've emulsified it. It's evenly distributed. But now we have... A very, very highly potent, um, highly toxic aluminum salt that's added to a vial. We've added something that helps it cross the blood-brain barrier. And when you Merck presented this data to the FDA, you've got a group of people who got the the, the actual vaccine, and you have a bunch of people who got this placebo, and the adverse events look the same.
1: Because so they had is, the terrible riskiest ingredients in both it's, categories. It's
0: no riskier it's than so a placebo. It's
1: unethical. It's, it's just, fucking
0: fraud. It's yeah.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. How they do that. I just can't believe this. Like, who do they think they're fooling? And then they're fooling everybody anyway. Like, you're a right. doctor and you had to go on a deep dive as a father
0: to yeah. find this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I hate to turn us all into cynics, but it's just all.
0: It the really truth. It feels so gross. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's I would a- hate to not be that guy too like believe me. And so we have this big problem here, right? We've had this vaccine that has been deeply ingrained as an important part of our child's protective, you know, repertoire against something very terrible, cervical cancer is awful. It's an awful way to die. But here's how things get things get even worse when you actually look at the data. So the original Gardasil data showed that about 81 in 10,000 people had a serious adverse reaction you know, up to death, but maybe as simple as some neuropathy or um, whatever, right? The risk of getting, so that's 81 in 10,000. This is from the safety data itself. Cervical cancer in a highly endemic area, like in East Africa, I used to do a lot of work in Malawi. The risk of dying, of getting cervical cancer is 4.27 in 10,000 in a highly endemic area, meaning it's even less likely in the United States. And therefore, you have a, what is it, 20 times greater risk of a serious adverse reaction from the vaccine itself than you do of even getting cervical cancer in Malawi, one of the most destitutely poor places on the on the planet. So that has to really come into conversation when we're talking about HPV and cervical cancer and all of this. I feel like there's so much fear around this, but actually in reality, the junk that's in this vaccine actually poses a greater Um, risk of harming you or your child than cervical cancer itself, which is really like, as a doctor now, you have to imagine like how much of a headache this gave me when I started reading the data. And it was just like, what am I supposed to tell families now? And if you got the vaccine, now what? Like, can we unvaccinate? I don't even like that term because you can't, but because doctors and, and, and midwives and nurse practitioners aren't being completely forthright, With this information, I feel like it is becoming very, very confusing to so many families. And I I do want to honor that, that everybody's doing these things out of love, except I can't really imagine how Merck got this through the FDA without somebody being like, uh... What's in this bio? I mean, look at what else
1: is through the FDA. It's the you know, I mean, sixty percent of the shareholders of the CDC. I don't know if that's what it is this year, but it was like shareholders in the pharmaceutical stocks. They leave the government. They work at the pharmaceuticals. They're become like they're all in bed together, and they're not really doing third party studies. But I think parents can really torture themselves over the statistics. And I think for many of us, what the most helpful thing is just from I don't know the word. It's not quite spiritual, but I think it's almost like your paradigm in life. Yeah. Do I, in my heart, if God forbid, there's an adverse outcome of of any measure, what scenario is more painful to me that I naturally developed something that was harmful or that I or child would have been absolutely fine, but I didn't believe I would. I intervened and I Mm. caused the harm.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I think that's it.
0: That's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you guys are parents. Like this is, I'm curious. We've
1: been through the thought process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm against really, really bad practices and I don't have enough compelling information here for me to say wholeheartedly that every vaccine or even any vaccine is actually beneficial. The further I go down this rabbit hole, it's not that I'm anti that piece of technology. I actually think it's brilliant, the idea. But frankly, the way that we created a market for this, it was fraudulently really presented to the FDA or at least um, uh, maybe fraud, maybe fraud. Even if fraud is an embellishment, it just seems a little bit unethical. You know what I mean? mean? There was a PR campaign. Yeah, me. like like what you have to create you? a market for this and then every doctor in the world is doing it. But it actually is, is uh, there's ongoing litigation in every state around this vaccine. And that is, the, the reason for that is not just this whole issue with the placebo. They also were advertising this as a means of preventing cervical cancer. The issue is that because cervical cancer takes months to years to develop, if not decades, I mean, really decades is what we're looking at, like many cancers, how could Merck create a PR campaign? Whenever you're saying, "Hey, this thing could happen 30 years down the road," we all know how that works, right? If I said you have a risk of of dying of a heart attack if you keep eating sugar, a lot of people are like, "Nah, whatever, doc. I feel great," or smoking or whatever else. It doesn't work. So they need to make it more. It's it's this is there's an urgency to this, and um and so what they used in their in their efficacy data so we talked about safety but does it work the efficacy data actually only looked at the surrogate markers of sin 2 and sin three and as we already described most of that is going to go away on its own so some of the ongoing litigation and there's in all 50 states there's different you know um uh, lawsuits now happening and Merck is now in, in, in very very murky water once again I just came up with that um, <laughs> That's good and so uh, so by using these these surrogate markers, right, we can say, hey, it prevents you. It it, it we saw a decrease in the development of syn two and syn three, but does that really matter? If most of that's going to go away on its own, and with some basic focusing on the physical, mental, emotional, and even spiritual elements of what constitutes a healthy person, you could get those numbers even lower. That doesn't look good for a PR campaign, but they have advertised this as a means of preventing cervical cancer, and that is just patently. False. It's just not something they can even claim because they never actually looked at what's going to happen with cervical cancer rates over the next three decades. But we're uh, just
2: about twenty, twenty years now with yeah, the start exactly. of the vaccine. We, we, so we do, don't know. do we don't even really have any data yet on
0: is yeah, there even the numbers haven't changed very much. We'll just say that. I mean, you, you would expect that a vaccine that was meant to prevent cervical cancer, now that it's administered to Gosh, I don't even know. Probably 90 for 5% of 9-year-olds or beyond are getting this vaccine series. You would expect that this thing got squashed real fast. But we just don't know. We don't we won't know for another 50 years maybe. And just like with anything, what about all the harmful stuff? What if it did prevent cervical cancer, but there's a good chance you're also going to get some sort of neurologic disability.
1: Well, the data base shows her? that yeah, exactly.
0: Starts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it was the beginning of something massive. And we're usually busy looking the other way when these things are happening. But Oprah, Barbara Walters, all the big shows had these, I guess, paid you doctors know. come on to promote this thing. And they, they purposefully distracted us from the true risks. And you no, know, I saw it in real time.
0: Yeah, there's there's one other piece here that's relevant for people who are still going into their OBGYN. And by the way, I think aggressive screening for anything is really, really helpful. It's helpful to know that there might be something on the horizon so you can act. If you don't have the positive screen, then there, there's no way you would have known. So our screens are not necessarily the best, but sometimes they are really reasonable to continue doing that. The question then, though, is let's say that you... um already have HPV-16 and you don't do anything and it progresses. It gets, you know, you get the biopsy, it's, you've got SYN-3. Um, And now um, let's say they do the LEAP procedure, right? And then they, they at that same visit, they're like, hey, we're going to do the lopping off of the cervix or what's called a cold knife cone. There's also escharotic therapies, which are very um, intensive, multi-week, multi um. Uh, they're like topicals and creams. They go in the vagina. They 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 basically sear off the, that layer, the top layer of cells in the cervix. That's called escharotic therapy. That's another option. But I digress. Once you've now got the HPV, right? You've already been exposed. You had your procedures. You've, you're doing your best. The doctor is probably going to say, I recommend getting the HPV vaccine, right? This cervical cancer vaccine we've been talking about because, hey, it couldn't hurt. Well, actually, from Merck's own safety data, this was very, very challenging to to understand or to 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 really acknowledge. But if you had HPV and you were given the vaccine, you actually had a higher risk of developing sin two and sin three than somebody who didn't have HPV and got the vaccine. So this goes back into, is HPV causing the cancer or is HPV a warning sign that something is going on in your immune system? Which by the way, your immune system is responsible for scavenging precancerous cells. Your immune system keeps all of those abnormal cells in check. Hey, you're not going to, you're going to keep growing despite our, you know, this whole ecosystem. We're going to gobble you up and chew you up and then spit you out. That's happening all the time, but you have to have a healthy immune system. And are these vaccines, the aluminum salts, the polysorbate 80, not to mention years of birth control, not to mention gut dysbiosis, where 80% of your your, your immune systems, your, your immune cells live. If any of those elements are added to it, are you going to end up in a state of immune dysregulation? Are you going to develop autoimmune conditions, including Hashimoto's? Are you going to end up having an inability and like a, an unhealthy? immune response, whenever another virus comes your way, which probably happened 10 times in this conversation, um, it all goes back to what can I do to nourish myself and help to support my body, getting back to a state of harmony and homeostasis in which case you're not going to even have to worry about a little fragment of nucleic acid wrapped in protein that comes your way whenever you get onto the public bus and you you know touch your face. <laughs> but that's not the conversation that's happening. And I, I feel like it's very disempowering. It's very fatalistic that, oh, there's nothing in your control. There's lots in your control. And if you can come work with somebody, if you can find somebody that sees this not as a Doomsday and they're gonna fearmonger and they're actually willing to work with you on getting some of these systems in order, you're probably gonna live longer anyways. It's not just about the HPV, it's also like how are you showing up in the world? How are you living your life? If it's not optimal, there's probably something we can do to fine-tune things a little bit. And that's really my whole message, kind of in a nutshell.
2: Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere.
1: Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit down slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. I wrote a
1: letter to Oprah and I wrote a letter to Barbara Walters. That's how worked up I was. Of course, I she has a
0: she has a McDonald's sponsorship on her podcast. Like Oprah is not
2: seriously. She has a McDonald's sponsorship.
0: She's got those Mickey, those Mickey D dollars coming her way. Oh my
2: God.